Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Bridge Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Bridge. We are continuing in the series in Genesis. So please go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. And Isaac, if you would, man, you mind closing the worship room doors because anything that happens out there, I'm going to see it and then think about it and forget what my name is and why I'm here. So, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. So, cool. Genesis chapter 5. And I'm going to skim through four chapters tonight. Um, So it's going to be good. Look at your neighbor and say, buckle up. (laughs) All right, cool. Thank you. I, I need to wake up. Does anyone else need to wake up? I, oh, man, I should have had one more coffee. Shoot. Okay, I'm going um, to step up. Did you say it's a necessary drug? It's true. All right, so Genesis 1 and 2, who can summarize it for me? In three words or less. All right, I'll, work together, work together. All right, we're going with that. God made stuff. That's pretty good. You got it. Okay, okay, so. Um, Genesis chapter 2, what do you got? People bad. People bad. Okay. All right, very good. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> someone please, uh, how many total chapters did we just talk about? Well, I, I think one and two were kind of like the creation accounts, and then three was the fall, is what I meant. So, maybe three. We're going to spend four chapters talking about Noah and the flood, right? So, who is the author of Genesis. Yes, Moses. And, um, man, he really felt it was important for us to unpack. Like, those were huge things. He spends three chapters on those items, four chapters explaining the judgment and the mercy of God. So I skip over to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It reads, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And so um, within that chapter... Um, or within this, the, the first part of this chapter, uh, we read about the Nephilim. Now, who, who can tell me anything about the Nephilim? Yeah, Aaron, what do you got? Children of demons. Demonic demigods. Okay. I like that explanation. Yeah, Hannah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, Xander. Okay, giants, yes. Asher. Okay. Y'all, we believe some wild stuff. Do you ever, like, sit back and, like, huh, I've, like, built my life upon a book that has some wild things inside of it. And this is part of that. Um, There are different theories about the Nephilim. Um, Angelic beings slash fallen angels Fornicating with people of earth is what I grew up being taught. Um, I heard an interesting theory. These are all theories um, today explaining that ultimately um, when demons were cast out of heaven, they wanted to take possession and find home within people. And so these people who became Nephilim were actually people who, um, for lack of a better phrase, sold their soul to the devil and became fully corrupt people, which um, extended to great wickedness. You can read with me in Jude, and I don't know about that theory. It's just another theory I read today. It says in Jude 1, 
uh, chapter 1, verse 6, and I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belong. So, um, in this topic tonight, it's so easy in Genesis to go down these rabbit trails, and it's not, it's not meaningless, okay? But it's also not the main point of the text tonight. So as much as I'd love to nerd out with you guys and talk about this stuff, it isn't the chapter we're looking at, but I think it's important for us, the big idea and the big plan is that Satan is constantly attempting to overthrow God's plan for creation. Now, is the Nephilim... Um, the primary reason the father brought the flood, or is it a reason? It is certainly not the primary reason, but it is a reason. Nate Holdridge, I like the way he explains it. He says that God's judgment came because of an unparalleled wickedness with mankind. So I look at the things of the world today. I look at Nashville, Tennessee last week and see three innocent kids and teachers being um, murdered in the middle of a day. And that's evil, that's cruel, that's wicked. Um, it's not funny. And um, I, I think I'm like, God, how can um, the world, like, like the world is so corrupt. It's beautiful, right, in many ways. But there's great wickedness and evil and corruption in the world today. And um, apparently uh, the mercy of God would become exhausted in this season and the way I kind of was thinking through it as I read the text, it's like a piece of art you're working on. And let's say you're working on a canvas or a paper, and there's just too many mistakes. You can't erase it. You can't pay over it any longer. You simply have to get rid of it and start over. And here we have the Genesis account and the story of the flood. It says in verse 6, it says that the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on earth and that it broke his heart, Genesis 6, 6, and 7. And it says that I will wipe the human race I created from the face of the earth. It's very easy to think when we read that text, I'm sorry this happened. I'm sorry I made you. Does anyone have any thought on this? Like, how can God be sorry? Can God regret something he did? I thought he was all-knowing, so why would he do something that he was going to feel sorry for or regret later? Any thoughts or explanations for a tough text? How can God be sorry and regret doing something if he's perfect, if he's all-knowing? What do you guys think? Any thoughts? Because you can look, this shows up in other parts of scripture. Check it out in 1 Samuel chapter 15. He would say again, it says this all over scripture, I regret that I made Saul king for he has turned my back from following me and has not performed my commandments. God has regrets. God is sorry. Does anyone have a thought on this? Yeah, what do you think, Jackson? Okay. Yeah, no, that, that is, there are theologians who think that, but that's not ultimately when we look at the whole context of God. So brilliant people think that, but when you look at the whole context of God, if God is sovereign, if he's omniscient and omnipresent, then, then it, it's a good thought, Jackson, but it, but it can't be that, but it is a good thought. Well done. Yes. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. Okay, sure. 
Yeah, no, I think, I think you're hitting on it, Nathan. Yes. What do you got, Jamie? He is faithful. Look at your neighbor and say, facts. Nailed it, Jamie. Yeah, he is faithful. Okay. So I remember when the Passion of Christ came out in 2003. I think it was 2003. And I remember, like, being at Stone Metal School and this girl, Amber, saying to me, like, because she didn't really know the Passion story or maybe had forgotten it or something like that. Um, have you guys seen The Passion? You guys know what I'm talking about, Passion of the Christ? It's probably, like, really good to watch this time of year, um, just like we sang tonight so we can live in remembrance of what the Father has done for us. But I remember her saying, like, why would God create a world in which Jesus had to die, right? And, you know, you look at the situation. If God's sorry this has happened, like, did Adam and Eve eating the fruit from the tree in the garden, did, did he not see that coming, right? When the world became so evil, so wicked, so corrupt that he's going to destroy it through flooding and water, did, is this like plan B? What is going on here? See, what we see here is not an afterthought from God or a mistake, but empathy. I'm sorry for what I am seeing here. Moses, he is the author here, but what we're seeing here is that when we sin, when humanity sins, when they're doubting that God has a plan and has good things intended for them, what we're seeing is that sin, when I sin and you sin, it hurts God. See, when we don't walk according to God's plan, he's sorry about that. It pains him. And just like Nathan hit on for a moment, free will, it's a beautiful thing, but it's a terrible thing all at the same time wrapped into one, meaning that in love, with God, you can choose to walk with him or you can choose to leave him. But either way, it is your choice. For Spencer Jacks, he's three. And um, I don't spank him yet, yet. I always was like, yeah, I'm gonna spank my kids. And now that I have my own kids, I'm like, I'll never do that. Why would I do that, right? So clearly my son's gonna grow up to be a horrible person and rob a bank one day because I'm not disciplining him now. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Ho- hopefully not, right? That's what everyone acts like. If you don't spank your kids, they're going to like be ridiculous. There's other ways. Yes, there are other ways. And one of those other ways is uh, something we call simmer time. It's like the hipster's way of saying like timeout ultimately, right? And so uh, if Spencer's running amok, like, um, like let's say if he hurt his baby brother, if he's like breaking stuff and we tell him to stop and he continues to break, break stuff, um, we put him in simmer time. And he's like kicking his legs, he's screaming, and he's like trying to tell me not to do it. And I've given him chances, and now it's time to go and time out, and there's no coming back. I've picked him up, I've put him in there, and I lock him in his dang room, right? And then sometimes he's bam, bam, bam. He's like a three-year-old slamming on. You know what I'm talking? You've been there? Yeah, you were there. You simmer time, you did it, okay. And like, and, and he starts screaming, crying. And it bums me out because I love him. I don't want him to be sad and upset. But do I regret the decision I made? Like, I'm sorry he's upset, but do I regret holding him accountable and teaching him you can't act this way? And if you do, there's consequences. Sorry to do it, but I don't regret the decision I made because the Lord certainly disciplines those he loves. Correction isn't a bad thing. It makes us right. So the father he doesn't regret what he's going to have to do with humanity at this point in history, but it does pain him to carry it out. See, it says in verse 8, Noah found favor. Look at your neighbor and say, favor. favor. He found favor with the Lord. Like, this is not all doom and gloom. 
in light of God's judgment, there is still mercy. In verse 9, it says, Noah was righteous, he was blameless, and beyond that, he had fellowship with God. In the Lord's Prayer, it says that you and I, we ought to pray that we could bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And in order for you and I to do that, what do we need to be made of? People who, just like Noah, Noah are righteous, walking in fellowship with God, and a blameless people as well. Not perfect, but people who are walking in the grace of God. Check this out with me on the screen. And I don't like this. I wish I rewrote this. It's a sinner who hates sin, turns from it, trusts God, pursues obedience, enjoys acceptance by grace. You are, yes, a sinner saved by grace, but even more than that, that's the old way. The fact is that your identity now is that you are a child of God. When God looks at you, he sees his son. So I don't even like saying you're a sinner who hates sin. You're a child who hates sin. And therefore, you can turn from it. You can trust God. You can pursue obedience. And you can enjoy acceptance by grace. Can I get an amen, somebody? See, it says in verse 12 that God observed all the corruption in the world. And he said to Noah, I am going to destroy all the living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. And I'm going to wipe them out. So build this boat. And he gives them these instructions. See, the world was corrupt then, and it's corrupt today. Like, like I mean, I, I don't even feel like going to the horrors of the world with you tonight. I just don't, don't, don't have it in me. But you know what I'm talking about. See, but just like Noah, in spite of a wicked world, an evil world, a, a, a world that we've been hurt from and we've suffered from, in spite of that, you and I, we can be a holy people in an unholy place. The ark didn't build itself. Who built it? Noah built the ark. God said, do it, because something's coming years from now. And I'm going to get into this later, but it's probably anywhere it took him 55 to 75 years to build the ark. He didn't know if that rain was actually going to come or not. He didn't know if water was really going to come from the ground or not, because it came from both directions, from the sky and from the earth. And he, in faith, is building this ark. James says, what about faith? Faith without what is dead? Faith without works is dead. He had a promise from God and he lived with it, which is why you can find him, read with me on the screen in Hebrews 11, um, verse seven. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned about things that had never happened before. Now, um, will the father, will he or won't we, will he or won't he destroy the earth by flooding again? He won't. Does that mean there's no more judgment to come? What's, where, where am I going with this? Will there be judgment coming? Through what? Through fire, correct. Through the return of Jesus Christ. Now Moses, he, or excuse me, wow, not Moses. I am all thrown off tonight, forgive me. Noah, he is obediently carrying out the things that God commanded him to do while he's waiting on this promise from God. What does that look like for you and I? Jesus is coming back. He's giving us a command to go and make disciples because I'm coming back the same way that I left, but it won't be to offer salvation and grace anymore because I've already offered it. It's me coming back with judgment. So if Jesus comes back and when he comes back, are we gonna be found like Noah, a righteous person, someone walking in fellowship 
with God. Will we or won't we be that person? And we ought to be and we can be that person. It says in verse 18, I'll confirm my covenant with you. So if you and your family, you come into this boat with all of these animals, um, you will be alive even during the flood. Verse 22, it says, so Noah did everything exactly that God had commanded him. God always provides a vessel for salvation. For Noah and his family, it was the ark. What is God's vessel for salvation for you and I? It's another wood structure. It's the cross, exactly. It says in 1 Timothy 4.16, it says that you and I, you guys listen, focus, please. Keep a close watch on how you live and your teaching. Stay true what is right for the sake of your own whose salvation? Your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. So because of, Mo, or excuse, wow, I keep doing that, forgive me. Noah, not Moses. Because of Noah's obedience, who else was saved? Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, okay. Now, what I'm seeing in the, and from Paul in this letter to Timothy, that you and I, if we walk in obedience to God as well, not only are we gonna be saved through grace, but other people around us will be saved as well. Guys, get this. Because of how you live, other people are gonna know Jesus Christ and be saved by Jesus Christ. How we live really does matter. It really is important. If you're talking in the far right, in the back, please stop. It says in Genesis chapter seven, when everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with all your family for among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. And then in chapter seven, verse 22, it says everything that breathed and lived on dry land, God wiped out everything, everything. So how long did I say earlier that it took to build the ark? 55 to 75 years, correct. See, people saw how Noah lived. He was doing things different. He was seeking to please God, not man. They probably thought he was an imbecile. They probably thought he was a fool. You're telling me it's gonna flood, right? You don't even know when exactly, and yet you're still building this ark. See, Noah was seeking to please God and not man. He was investing into paternity and not this world. And then bam, the flood came representing what? God's what? Starts with a J, God's judgment. See, God is the righteous judge. Check this out in 2 Peter 4, 6. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Look at your neighbor and say, that's heavy. That's heavy, thank you. Check this out in Revelation. This is from John. He writes, he sees a vision, and John reads, look at this with me on the screen. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written in it that no one knows but himself. That's insane. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is fire. That's 
heavy stuff right now. This is not Jesus holding and cuddling some little lamb. This is not Jesus, as we see in Sunday school, him doing hopscotch with a bunch of kids. It's Jesus with the robe covered in blood with eyes of fire and a sword to slaughter. This is heavy. We don't talk very much about the judgment of God. Me as your pastor, I don't go this direction with you very often, but the text is presenting it tonight. My bent is towards grace, and I'm unapologetic because of that, right? But you and I, we cannot be ashamed because to understand the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, before we can understand how much he loves me and you, we have to understand the judgment of God and the wrath of God. Otherwise, when we're singing songs like remembrance, it won't mean very much. We're not going to really understand how good he's been to us because until we recognize what a great problem has God has with sin and the sins that we've committed and the fury and that wrath and judgment that is heavy, that is horrible, that was laid upon his son so that we would not have to suffer what's coming. And anyone can come to salvation through Jesus Christ alone. But like I said, in order to understand how much God loves me, we have to understand what he saved us from, and it is judgment. It says in Genesis chapter 8, but God remembered Noah and all the livestock. And it, it said that um, <clears throat> the, the floodwaters began to recede, the rain stopped, the flood is over. But even after the flood, within you and I, there is still sin. It reads in the text, even though everything they think or imagine is being bent toward evil from childhood. Right? So even though we are starting over again, sin is still within our nature. Chapter 9, then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply. I say that again. He said, be fruitful and multiply. What does that sound like? What is that? Do you guys remember this? This, this wording before? Where have we seen this before? Yeah. Genesis chapter 1. What did he tell Adam and Eve? To do what? Be fruitful and multiply. Here we are, we're starting again. He's saying, fill the earth. Chapter, chapter 9, verse 20. And after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground and plant a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made. Get this. You guys aren't listening. You need to listen up now. He drank some wine. He got drunk. He, ba- he got dr- so drunk, he laid inside his tent naked. It's weird. The Bible's weird sometimes. We're talking about all this heavy stuff. And then, bam, Noah passes out drink, uh, naked and drunk. All right? It's awkward. Okay, so let's unpack this. Let's try anyways. What I'm seeing here is that in order to be saved, you must be born again. So what I'm seeing here within this Noah and the flood and this ark story, there's always a consistent concept of immersion into water like a child being literally born again to a new life. But the Old Testament does what? What is one of the main, can you guys talk to me? What are some of the purposes of the Old Testament? We have the New Testament, We have the Old Testament. We have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Why do we have the Old Testament? Okay. Very good. The law shows us sight of our sin and shows us our need for who? Right. Okay, good. Yeah. Xander, what do you got? Amen. Good, good, good. Amen. Good. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. The Old Testament is constantly pointing towards our need for Jesus, right? Because let's, let's start in the Old Testament then. Adam and Eve, they're created. He says, be fruitful and multiply. But they doubt God and his best 
for them and his plan for them. They disobey. And so now we see that sin progresses to an uncontrolled evil and an untamed evil. And then part two, we see a rebirth again in the ark. Judgment through the water, but salvation through the ark and the line of Noah. But here's my point of actually going through the awkwardness of Genesis chapter 9 with you, is that Noah was through the line of us being able to begin again could happen. But even after you're saved, are you saved tonight? Even after you're saved, even after you've declared Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even after you've been delivered from something great and horrible and evil, are you going to make mistakes again? Yes. One of the reasons why we have this in the Old Testament is in the hall of faith that we read about with Hebrews chapter 11 is even though we're going to be saved, even though we're going to be delivered, we're still going to make mistakes and we're still going to screw up. And what Satan wants you to think is that means that you're not saved. That means that you're not delivered. That means that you're not new. And he wants you to wander away from Jesus Christ. But we can even in our mistakes, even when we mess up again, we can come back to Jesus Christ again. And then again, man, we see this constant picture of immersion in the water where we see later on in history that the Israelites in their escape from slavery in Egypt, the Egyptians and Pharaoh and the armies, they come to take Moses and the Israelites back. And what happens? The Lord splits the Red Sea and through water they exit. And then from there, the slavery is destroyed. It says in 1 Peter 3.20, look at this with me on the screen. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In John 3.3, it reads, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So, like Easter's coming, right? Man, Jesus is saying that if you want to be with me forever, you must be born again. You have to die to your old life and you have to come alive to the calling and the plan for salvation that I have for you. That's why Easter is so critical. It gives you guys an opportunity to invite people who either A, have wandered away from Jesus or B, that have never known Jesus to begin with is because the only way that we can enter the kingdom of God is if we're born again through the love and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. God, I love you, Lord. I thank you for these students, God. And um, every, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. So if there's a student in here that... Um, that just feels like they need to be just, just, just dipped in your waters again of mercy and grace. Not that they're not saved. Student, don't, don't think I'm talking about you not being saved. But if you just want just a refreshing and the renewing of the joy of your salvation, if you feel like you've been delivered from great things but ended up in a place where you don't want to be again, and you just want to come back, can you just pray this prayer with me right now? God, I love you, Lord. And, and I, um, I believe you're the truth. I believe you're the way. But I'm not walking with you, Father God. I'm not like, like Noah in the story where I'm walking as a righteous person, a blameless person, or in fellowship with you. God, I want fellowship with you again. And I pray, whoever student is praying that right now, that they would know that their mercies are new daily. That if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us 
that you wanted us so much you can't take your eyes off us and you sent your one and only son to die for us. So I pray that that student would have the joy of their salvation renewed, Father God, that they would come alive again in you, that they would know what it feels like to be baptized even again, just going under that water, the old being gone and left behind and no longer existent, but the new creation being here, coming up out of that water again, just like you in the tomb, Jesus Christ, alive in you. I pray that for these students. And if there's a student in here that doesn't yet know you, I just pray that they pray, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I repent of my sins. I repent, I'm sorry for sinning against you. But God, I turn from the old way. I turn for the things that aren't for you, Father God. And I wanna walk with you and I wanna give my life for you. I wanna declare you as the Lord of my life. You be the master of my life, Father God. You take control, God. And I accept the free gift of salvation, which you purchased for me on the cross. And I will live and walk with you as a child. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey guys, thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to learn more about The Bridge, please follow us on Instagram at wearethebridge. Also, if you need prayer, send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.